Today's scripture reading is from, the, is from Daniel 5, 1 through 31. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. And then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me his interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you, or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In, his, in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, who the king named Belshazzar. Now, let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. 
And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. And this is God's word. There are basically two approaches to life. They're captured in Proverbs 18, 10, and 12, which says this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Makes you wonder, what is your Babylon? All kings are subject to God, as are all men, and there are only two kinds of kings. Now, remember, all men, all kings are subject to God. There are two kinds of kings, those who know this and those who don't. Nebuchadnezzar started out as a haughty king, a proud king, but he ended as one humbled. Belshazzar is going to go haughty all the way, and that's the passage that we've just had read. Now, let's get a little background, some introduction to Daniel 5. So Nebuchadnezzar died in 562 B.C., and he was succeeded by three kings before someone by the name of Nabonidus took the throne in 556 B.C. And Nabonidus was Babylon's final king who actually served until 539 B.C. 
when Persia completed its conquest of Babylon. Belshazzar served as a co-regent in Babylon during his father's, Nabonidus' reign. So Nabonidus is probably a son of Nebuchadnezzar, and Nabonidus has a son, Belshazzar, who becomes a co-regent, which means he's kind of like the, the mayor of Babylon. And his dad, Nabonidus, is actually at this time out in the field. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's last words, which by, that means that Nebuchadnezzar would be the grandfather of Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's last words in the book of Daniel could have really helped Belshazzar. He says in Daniel 4.37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. The fall of Babylon was already baked in. It was just a matter of time. Now, this was first glimpsed in Daniel 2. You remember the image, the golden head? It's just a head, and then the next empire, and then the next comes. But in Daniel chapter 7, which we'll start to look at next week, Daniel 7 was actually written six years before the event that we're reading about this morning. And in that, it actually spells out this day is coming. The exact timetable, not known, but some speculation there, but this much we know. The days of Babylon are numbered and they are coming to an end. Now, Daniel was not the only one to talk about this. For example, in Jeremiah 27, which Jeremiah 27 was probably written around 595 B.C., that would make it nine years before the fall of Jerusalem. So many years before where we are with Belshazzar. But here's what it says. This is Jeremiah 27, verses 5, 6, and 7. I have made the earth, the men and the beasts which are on the face of the earth, by my great power and by my outstretched arm. And I will give it to the one who is pleasing in my sight. This is God talking. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the wild animals of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him their servant. Okay, Jeremiah says, Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, his son, that's Nabonidus. His grandson, that's Belshazzar. And then I'm giving it to somebody else. Now, by now, you should recognize certain common elements in the passage that was read to us this morning. Uh, the king has a vision that requires interpretation, and the wise men can't sort it out. So he appeals to Daniel, who in turn explains what the vision means and receives honor. We saw that in, in chapter 2, we saw it in chapter 4, and now we're seeing it once again in chapter 5. But there are two major contrasts between chapter 4 and chapter 5. The first is that Belshazzar has no respect for God compared to Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nebuchadnezzar, you, we saw in chapter 2, and then chapter 3, and then chapter 4, was making progress until he arrived at a place where he humbled himself before God. That is not the case with Belshazzar. Uh, some people have asked, well, what's the point of a sermon called oops? And uh, oops actually showed up in the English language. First place it's uh, seen is about 1911. We don't really know where it came from. Maybe it's a shortened version of oops-a-daisy or whoopsie. But, but oops is something that people say when they maybe have made a mistake, but they want to minimize it. You know what I mean? Uh, I, just, I just crashed the car, Dad. Oops. <laughs> Belshazzar can't even get out an oops and another thing that is different in this chapter is Daniel compares Belshazzar very unfavorably to Nebuchadnezzar he says Nebuchadnezzar got it not so much Belshazzar now Belshazzar boasts of familiarity with Daniel and his father's history yeah you know you heard in the account that was read, he says, oh yes, I know all about you. Yeah, but did you take to heart anything? You're very familiar with Papa's letter. Now I'm calling Nebuchadnezzar Papa. Uh, you're very familiar with Papa's letter. Have you paid any attention to that? Big mistake. Uh, Daniel 5 is kind of a counterpoint to Daniel 4. In Daniel 4, we saw a positive response to being humbled by God. Belshazzar is the negative. Daniel 5 doesn't explain how the city fell, although I'll be able to tell you about it from some historical records, but it focuses on the why. Why did Babylon fall? Now, the city of Babylon considers itself impregnable. Now, there's no way anybody is going to successfully take us on. They have massive walls, defensive towers, iron gates, and interestingly, they have a 20-year food supply within the city wall. So for someone to lay siege to Babylon, it would be very easy for them to laugh and say, no way they're going to do anything. One other thing I want you to be aware of before we kind of work our way through the passage is if Daniel was 16 when he came to Babylon, he would be 81 at the time of this incident. <laughs> I realize, and that means, by the way, when we do the uh, lion's den, that he's probably 83 in that one. It doesn't match a lot of our pictures where we see this young buff guy as opposed to a geezer in with the lion's. But I think Daniel at this point is a wonderful demonstration of something that's in uh, the book of Psalms. It says, they, referring to the righteous, will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green. I like to think that I'm full of sap <laughs> because I'm interested in bearing fruit for Jesus even though some would say, Jim, your shelf life is very short and they may be right. So what I love is that Daniel 1 shows us a young man who's going to stay true to God, and he's probably, what, 16 or thereabouts? Daniel 5 and 6 shows us a man who has remained true to God until his 80s. 
He didn't just make a great start, he made a great finish, and we'll see that great finish next week when we look at Daniel and the lion's den. All right, let's go ahead and take apart the, the passage and work our way through it. Verses one through four, I like to call party in a pickle. Uh, they're in a pickle, but they're gonna have a party. And so they convened a lavish party for a thousand. And we do know that this party was actually held in October of 539 BC. Now, outside the wall, we also know from historical records that Persia, which has been on the move to conquer Babylon, has taken Opus, which is 50 miles to the north. And then they crossed the Euphrates River where Sipar surrendered without a fight. So, assumedly, the army of Babylon is surrounding, or the armies of Persia are surrounding Babylon and bearing down on him and he's throwing a party. Now, uh, this has been Pastor Appreciation Month and I'm so grateful for Table Talk for sending me some Dove chocolates and I found some sage wisdom inside that I think it's possible that Belshazzar, I don't know if they had Dove in Babylon, but, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was actually reading some of these uh, to get good counsel. So, uh, for example, the city is surrounded. Be with people who make you laugh. Uh, is that what he's doing? I thought this one was good. Don't stop until you're proud. <laughs> that sounds like Belshazzar. Um, is this a taunt? You know, we're going to party because we think it's so ridiculous. You trying to conquer our city. <laughs> Knock yourselves out. Or is this a distraction? Uh, I don't know, but let's go ahead and call a party. Is it both? I don't know, but be with people who make you laugh. Sounds like something he's doing. Now, clearly, Belshazzar is also making a religious point. He's treating the God of Israel as nothing more than houseware. And he says, our confidence is in the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. That's where our trust lies. Now that is a really bad idea. In Jeremiah, he would say of those who put their trust in idols, they decorate it, an idol, with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field are they. And they cannot speak, they must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm nor can they do any good. So here's Belshazzar. He's saying, I'm trusting in these gods that you got to cart around and set up. What a dumb idea. I wonder if he's the only one. If my attention, my affection... My, willing to sac my willingness to sacrifice is fixed on something in place of Jesus, that something is an idol. Oh, but that's, you know, that's kind of an Old Testament thing. They, you know, they, they struggled with idols, but that's not, not, not us. 1 John 5, 21, it is a clear and present danger. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. It is possible for us 
to be devoted to something in place of Jesus. Now, I can be devoted to my wife, my children, because I am devoted to Jesus, but not in place of Jesus. Well, here is a man who he's decided what he is going to worship, and it is not the one true God, and he has really made a major mistake. The gavel strikes. A courtroom, really, is convened. It was started out as a party, but in verses 5 through 9, we learn... Now, this hall, you can actually... Uh, the ruins are still there. Uh, if you go through the Ishtar Gate, and then there's a courtyard area, and then this hall was about 170 by 55 feet, so about 10,000 square feet, larger than this room. And uh, there's blue enameled brick on it, as well as some plaster. There's a lampstand there, which is, we don't really know what that was. It's a unique word, but it was some sort of prominent light fixture. And then where that can be seen because of the light fixture, a hand starts writing a message. And the king totally freaks out. Now, you can see on the screen, you can see the message. That's what the message was. And some of you are going, Jim, come on. Uh, because in Hebrew or in Aramaic, you go from right to left. So let's flip it, all right, so that we can make it better. There you, there you go. Yeah, that's, so that's what he saw if you're reading like we do. What would you think if you saw that on the wall? And by the way, you know, it would be in uh, Aramaic characters. Wealth. He's a wealthy man. Powerful. He has all manner of human wisdom surrounding him. And all of that is completely inadequate to unpack the message. No surprise. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to, foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. They see the writing. He sees the writing. And he's freaking out. I mean, how often do you have a hand writing on your wall? None of Belshazzar's team can make sense of the message. The king who had been hardying, partying hard is now having a panic attack. And I love this quote from Wearsby. He says, God had turned the banquet hall into a courtroom and the king was about to be declared guilty. Well, Nebuchadnezzar goes into a mommy alert. Uh, the queen is probably the wife of King Nabonidus, and therefore the mom of Belshazzar. Uh, Herodotus names her as Nitocris. And so Nitocris, uh, who is the wife of the king, that would make her the queen, so the wife of Nabonidus, and little belly is having a, Belshazzar, little belly is having a, you know, an attack, and so, uh, you know, mommy comes, Natakris comes, and basically says, no, no, calm down. There is someone named Daniel who can help you. Now, by the way, since Daniel is 81, is he retired? You know, why wasn't he invited to the party? I'm sure he would turn down the, the invitation. Has he been shelved? I don't really know. 
But he comes, and then Belshazzar starts really working it. You know, Belshazzar wants to come across as one who, you know, he's trying to get a favorable verdict. Whatever he can do to say, oh, Daniel, man, so glad you're here. I mean, I've heard all about you. You're an amazing guy. Whoa, can't wait to hear what you say. <laughs> There's a real irony here, isn't there? If you thought so highly of Daniel, why is this meeting seemingly your first encounter? <laughs> now, is he sweetening the pot to cover for terror? I don't know. But Daniel responds and says, Belshazzar, keep your gifts. You are well acquainted with your father's, and that probably refers to grandfather's story as found in Daniel 4. And he actually quotes part of it. He, he says in, in chapter 5, verse 21, he says, he, referring to Nebuchadnezzar, recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. And you know this. Verse 22, yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. Your grandfather didn't know about the one true God. But in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, you see this process where he eventually came to a place where he recognized the one true God is the one whom, upon whom I depend for everything. And Belshazzar, you knew his story. Your grandfather didn't know God, but came to know him. You've had the advantage of Nebuchadnezzar's story. And on top of that, you have treated the one true God with disdain and worshiped the work of man hands. You've worshiped things that men produce, gold and silver and stone, metal. And then in verses 22 and 23, you read something, and I'm not sure that it comes through as clearly so I'm in English so I'm going to read it I'm not going to read it in Aramaic but I'm going to read it to you in a way that puts emphasis on the word you because it's very prominent in the account 14 times you or a uh, pronoun that is a possessive are used so listen to this because he's basically saying Belshazzar you knew you knew your grandfather's story. Yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. And they brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines, have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways, you have not glorified. Do you hear the you? Do you hear the accusation? Well, then, because of this, here's the verdict. Mene, mene, tekel you parson. Mene is repeated twice. 
That means numbered, counted. Tekel means weighed, and uparson means divided. So the message, and Daniel tells him, here's what the message says. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. Well, even with that, you're kind of going, what's the meaning of that? Now, first thing I'll address is why the repetition of the first two? Why numbered, numbered? My best clue comes from Genesis 41:32, where Pharaoh had a dream, and this young man from the 12 sons of Israel is there, and he interprets the dream, and here's a statement that Joseph makes in 41:32. He says, "Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice." It means that the matter is determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. In other words, when he said, meno, meno, mene, mene, what he's saying is numbered, numbered, and now it's going to happen. Basically, what he's saying is God has done a spiritual audit of you and your kingdom and it is fatally flawed. Well, Daniel is promoted to number three. Belshazzar is slain that night. That's the end of the party. So Daniel is promoted to number two. Uh, Herodotus reports something fascinating to me with the word divided. I mean, how in the world did this city, Babylon, get conquered and Belshazzar get killed all in that one night? And according to Herodotus, who's an ancient historian uh, from a little later, but he recounts what happened. So the Persian army diverted the Euphrates River sufficient to where the army was able to actually walk into Babylon via the river. And there were many places where there was access to the river so people could get water. And so the advance guard came and then spread out from there and apparently went to the banquet hall where Belshazzar was and he was slain that night. So when it says weighed, counted, divided, it is highly likely in that precise moment that the army had already moved through the Euphrates entry point which divided the city in half. Everybody splits kingdom is split everybody leaves the party and Belshazzar becomes a poster child for this verse Proverbs 29 1 a man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy Belshazzar was given incredible advantages and opportunities he had a grandfather whose story was all the news And he squandered it. He reached a point of no return. That's what the mene mene is. And the clock does indeed run out. Now, I'm reasonably confident I won't have an opportunity to do this with you but I would love for you to understand some things from the book of Revelation and I want to tell you one thing 
because I can't let this moment go without telling you what a connect is. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says five times, I am coming quickly. Now, I am coming quickly, takus, does not mean, uh, you know, I'm coming in a short span of time as if he was coming in 100 AD. It means when I come, it will happen so fast, you will not have an opportunity to get prepared. If you're not ready, you will be overtaken. In one instance, one of those I am coming quickly commands actually has a conditional element in it. This is in 2.16. He says, therefore repent or else I am coming to you quickly. What happened to Belshazzar is a picture of what happens to anyone who is not saying and building his life around, I am going to be ready for the return of Jesus. And if we're not ready, when it happens, when it unfolds, it will happen so quickly. Well, let's make several applications from this because this is not just a story about Belshazzar and a contrast to Nebuchadnezzar. So what, what are some ways we can apply this? Well, here's application number one. He trusted in what could not help him. He trusted in his mute golds and silvers and whatever images. So here's a principle that we can use. Use a crisis to identify misplaced trust. If you are having a panic attack, ask yourself this question, in what am I trusting? Uh, I'm reasonably confident that some kind of economic panic attack is coming. Now, again, I don't know, and I'm certainly not a financial guy, but listen to this verse. This is from uh, 1 Timothy. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who supplies us with all things to enjoy. From a world standard, we are all wealthy people. And it would be so easy to think, I'm ready for whatever's coming because of these resources. Well, when the crisis hits, that's a wonderful time to say, God, are you showing me that I'm freaking out because I put my trust in something that ultimately cannot supply what I need. Belshazzar did that. Here's another application. Uh, he couldn't admit when he was in over his head. So when you encounter a crisis, use a crisis as a trigger to seek God's help. When you discover something and you're going, I don't know how we're going to get through this. You can actually use insecurity as a praise trigger. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Listen to what David says. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. Here's David saying, when I'm freaking out, I use that to drive me to God and say, I'm going to trust you. 
You know what you're doing. He says, in God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? There are all kinds of situations that we encounter where I have to say, God, it is so clear. I am not the one who can control the outcome. But I trust you. You're a good father. You love me with a perfect love. And you know what you're doing. So I'm going to trust you. One more application would be this. Belshazzar ignored his grandfather's counsel. Not uncommon. In a crisis, he'd seasoned mentors. Daniel actually knew. We talked about this in the second sermon. Daniel was very acquainted with the book of Proverbs. And here's a section from Proverbs that he would have known about. And he could testify to its relevance to Belshazzar. Hero sons, this is from chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Hero sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding, for I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. Belshazzar said, yeah, Grandpa, that's fine. That was your deal. Young person, don't do that. The cost is too high. Find godly mentors. If God has given you parents or grandparents who are in that category, wonderful. If not, find godly mentors so that when the crisis hits, you've already got a reserve of principles that you can use. Pride goes before a fall. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We're trying to celebrate God's grace, and God loves to pour out grace on those who are humbled and are able to say, God, I have you to thank for everything. Well, let's pray, and let's tell him that. Father, we trust you. Help us trust you more. Help us respond well when you reveal our pride or challenge our sense of self-sufficiency. Father, we want this passage to be our heartbeat. We want to live this passage. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. We want to rise Stand upright because our trust is in you. No matter what we face, no matter what we encounter, make of us a people who are bold in Christ precisely because we are humble and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.